10 to 1, episode 167. They descended into hell. The odds that we'll be referencing the Apostles' Creed, <laughs> 10 to 1 in favor. <laughs> Since we already did it, so I think that's a pretty fair bet. I'm Ryan Kozer, and uh, got my brother, Matthew. Hey, what's up, Brian? Good to... Are we going to do like a top 10 views of hell or something like that today? No, I wasn't going to try and, and uh, uh, shoehorn this into a top 10 today. That's good, because... Yeah, I think it would get a little weird. <laughs> I think we could probably, I mean, if you split like origins view of universalism versus Rockwell. Yeah, Hell, uh, yeah is it possible? Ten. For sure. <laughs> but we definitely have some weird stuff. Yeah, we don't need to do that. Um, so we didn't really we didn't really plan how we're going to structure this too much ahead of time. But I was thinking, um, uh, let me know what this sounds like. If we do a... Uh, uh, an overview of the different views of hell. So we're going to be discussing mm-hmm. different, different views on on hell. Um, I guess kind of skipping past like who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. Maybe that's another kind of side discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, so overview sort of the, I think, three main views. Mm-hmm. Then um, maybe both say where where we are and then maybe we can go into some sort some different uh arguments for and against the different different views yeah that yeah that's what i was thinking depending on if we if we are in agreement or not might be a little different yeah. conversation yeah yeah i was also curious just maybe before we jump into the different positions yeah uh when so you know we were talking whatever it was a month ago Mm-hmm. and I came, I decided on the topic. And so I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on, on this topic. Are you coming to this topic? Like, yeah, I'm excited to talk about this. This is really interesting to me. Or were you like, okay, we'll get past this one and move on to the next one? No, this one's interesting. I think, uh, I don't know that there's a lot of theological areas that I just am bored by. Is there something off the top of your head that you're thinking of? Like, uh, it's just something you, you would, you'd really have to force yourself mm. to, mm-hmm. to go over. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I know there's stuff. <laughs> and there's, there's some that are more important and less important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But sometimes the less important ones are just as interesting to talk about <laughs> true true no, no yeah no i definitely know that there are some topics i mean that's something that i've found in seminary mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's definitely theological topics that i'm not as interested in yeah. but <clears throat> this one is hard to not have some sort of draw to i think yeah, but that's true that's my perspective so i didn't know if you were feeling a different way coming into it yeah I'll say I hadn't, I'd thought, this is not one that I've done a lot of reading on or mm-hmm. or thinking about, but I'd done even less before um, uh, my friend Micah 
uh, you know Micah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he was visiting last year, and uh, he had he had started, um, I think, talking to one of his pastors. Excuse me, who had, I think, is a, um, I, I think, I don't think I'm outing anyone on uh, <laughs> on this obscure <laughs> podcast that not very many people listen to. Um, but if you happen to know who Micah is, and you happen to know <laughs> which pastor of his I'm talking about. I don't think it's a secret, but I don't think he's like pushing this at his church. Um, that he's a kind of he's moved to annihilationism, mm-hmm. and so then uh, from that, Michael is kind of looking into it more, and um, he sent me a uh, a couple YouTube videos. Um, Preston Sprinkle was one of them, mm-hmm. and I don't remember who the other guy was, um, but kind of overviewed some of the different positions, and so then I. So I've done just a little bit, I mean, a few hours of, yeah. um, of thinking about it and, and kind of listening to some mm-hmm. people, but, mm-hmm. uh, but that's kind of where I am. Otherwise it had been, I'd not really thought about it too much past, um, past what we grew up with, which we can get to that in a minute and past, mm-hmm. um, I guess like, uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, mm-hmm. which is sort he's sort of, uh, I think, goes right in line with the the medieval uh, Thomas Aquinas kind of or Augustine kind of picture of hell. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can talk about that in a little bit too. Any any other cool. uh, prefatory comments? Nope. I mean, I could I could I was thinking about telling you kind of where I was coming from or how I was coming mm-hmm. to this conversation, but maybe that would be better for when we're actually talking about yeah. what our position is so yeah, a little I'll, bit of a I'll hold off on that yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay okay uh so why don't we just go um we'll just briefly overview for someone yep. that's not for someone like me from six months yeah has not really thought about this too much or or read about it too much um so i think orthodox christianity agrees that there is a hell i don't think there's really a mm-hmm a view that there's nothing at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Apostles creed that we referenced at the beginning. Yep. <laughs> descended into hell. Um, so that's something somewhere. Um, and the, and who gets into heaven, who gets into hell is a, a related but separate topic for people that end up in hell. There's uh, eternal conscious torment Annihilationism and universalism, I think, are the three. Are there any other? Mm-hmm. Are there any other main? Uh... Yeah, there's one I would add. That's not necessarily its own position necessarily, but it's one that can kind of fit within any of these other three, oh, okay. uh, which is just postmortem opportunity. If mm-hmm. you've heard of that, it's basically so it's it's required with universalism, as we'll yeah. talk about, I'm sure, in a second, but there are even people that fall into the other two perspectives that would still hold to a post-mortem opportunity or, you know, after you, after you die while you're in hell, there's an opportunity or maybe before you pass into hell, either way, there's an opportunity for you to escape it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You'd have to have that for universalism. I guess if you're mm-hmm. not a universalist, <clears throat> but you said there was an opportunity you'd have to say some people would never accept it 
and stay in hell consciously or are annihilated mm -hmm. and then yep. some people would be converted yeah yeah okay. so so probably the one that i'm familiar with that holds to that but also an eternal conscious torment or uh infernalist mm -hmm. is another yep. another term for it um i'll just probably say that because it's quicker and sure. easier uh or traditionalist but sure. so somebody who has a traditionalist perspective but also believes in a post-mortem opportunity is uh his name is actually jerry walls <laughs> oh, <laughs> different yeah. jerry walls i've seen uh, him pop up and that made me <laughs> laugh because we yeah when we were growing up we had a pastor named jerry walls yeah yeah so but he like you said he doesn't think everyone is going to believe even after death but he does think it's possible so gotcha okay no that's a good that's a good one to add in then um okay so then with infernalism that's the like you said the traditional view mm -hmm. um it's the uh you die and you are not one of the redeemed <laughs> whatever group that is that's, that's not going to uh, eternal bliss is going to hell and they're there forever <clears throat> and uh, uh, torment is part of the idea that there's um, the pictures are flames darkness um, uh, what else is yeah, weeping, gnashing yeah. of teeth, worm doesn't die, things right. like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And, um, right. What yeah. Is, um... Yeah. And so as, you know, depending on who you are holding to this view, some people will say it's physical torment mm. some people will say it's you know just spiritual or emotional or psychological but mm -hmm. either way no matter you know the the level and the extent it's obviously as the name implies eternal it never ends and right. it's conscious so it's not like you're gonna face torment for a certain time then eventually you'll just you know pass from consciousness into unconsciousness eternally or anything like that mm -hmm. but eternal misery is another way some people describe it so yeah and that's if you know the word hell <laughs> and you've been a christian for any length of time this is yeah. pretty much the position that is typically what people think is the christian view of hell right like as you're saying even outside being a christian just sort of the mm -hmm. pop culture idea yeah popular yeah. idea yeah right. so this one probably takes the least amount of explanation mm -hmm. and maybe has the most uh commonalities within within this position you know even though like i said there are some people that have a post-mortem opportunity type of position that kind of is added to this but it seems like there's a little bit more variety maybe maybe that's just my personal opinion but Right. I think there's definitely, um, there is a, so even like, um, and maybe it's more optimism as far as like who, who could possibly avoid going to hell. Um, so like you see like a C.S. Lewis is, mm -hmm. a, uh, not a universalist, uh, for sure, but, um, 
was sort of an optimistic of um, people that were not in the church mm. um, mm-hmm. uh, where he would, I, if, I don't know if I'm representing him accurate, <laughs> completely accurately, but would say, we can't say that somebody's going to be saved um, outside the church, but we could, we maybe can be optimistic and hope that that would be possible. Yeah. So yeah. Like the, the, you know, the, always the question of there's a person in the middle of the jungle that never heard mm-hmm. about Christ. Then what's mm-hmm. the hope for them um, that we couldn't say for sure, but maybe they could get in. I think that's maybe more of a, trad- of an optimism I've heard more than mm-hmm. um, for this view that people then mm-hmm. could, could escape yeah. out of it at some point. So yeah. I yeah. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll save that for who goes and who doesn't sure. <laughs> for that <Yeah>. podcast episode. <laughs> I had yeah. more I was going to say, but we'll we'll pause okay. it right there. <laughs> okay. Uh, so then the second one would be uh, annihilationism or conditional immortality. Um, because if you're saying the person um, ceases to exist, so their immortality would not continue at that point, or um, terminal punishment. I've also heard. Mm. Mm-hmm. where the, the punishment doesn't continue um, forever in the sense that someone's being consciously tormented, um, but would be forever in the sense that like it happens and then they don't exist anymore. And mm-hmm. so it is a punishment forever. It's not something mm-hmm. being undone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this one definitely, when I first heard about it, it was actually the youtube videos you were talking about with micah that he passed on to you that was actually i think the first the first time that i was um that i was made aware of this view and so it kind of took me a minute to understand and kind of threw me off just because it's such a non-traditional way of thinking if Mm -hmm. you all you're aware of is the traditionalist perspective And so, yeah, the idea that immortality is conditional, that it's not just there's the immortality of the soul, no matter whether you're a believer or non-believer, but that only believers, only those who are going to heaven possess immortal life. And, uh, and so, and then, like you said, the difference, the distinction between, so annihilationists would believe in eternal punishment. Mm-hmm. but would disagree with the idea of eternal punishing right? is a way that I've heard some people put it. So, but like you said, yeah, the destruction is eternal, but that the destruction is not a conscious ongoing type of punishment. Right. Um, and they would point to images like um, a being uh, like fire burning something up, mm-hmm. burning up mm-hmm. the chaff that it's not, it doesn't burn forever, but it burns up, and then it's ash, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's gone. Yep. Or the word destruction, that destruction isn't necessarily like a, you know, ongoing consciousness, but that destruction means you're done. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah. And then, and we can talk about this more, I'm sure, in a minute, but uh, one of the most common passages that people will point to, I mean, there's a bunch, but one of the most common ones is I think it's Second Peter talking about Sodom and Gomorrah and their punishment and how that's 
going to be Peter compares Sodom and Gomorrah's punishment to the punishment that uh, people who are going to hell are going to experience. And so mm-hmm. the argument is, okay, well, if Sodom and Gomorrah is not around anymore and mm-hmm. that's called eternal punishment, then, uh, and that's the illustration that we're getting, then obviously the punishment of hell is not an ongoing because obviously, as we know, the people from Sodom and Gomorrah aren't hanging around somewhere in the desert still in torture from the fire and sulfur that came down. Right, right. Um, okay. Um, any other... I, I, I don't know that I have... Mm. Yeah, are there any other... Um, before we get into kind of the the back and forth on them, any other... Uh arguments for this one um yeah i guess just something i would point out is that there's some people who think that when your life on earth is done that's when you're annihilated that there's nothing after death at all and then there's others who would say after you pass on from this earth there's still a limited existence where you basically are facing god's justice for your sin here and then once you've basically done your time (laughs) then Mm -hmm. that's when you you face the final punishment of annihilation so um gotcha yeah and something that uh one of the things that i've looked into just for each of these different perspectives so we haven't talked about universalism right quite yet but something that people go to a lot in these conversations and something I think is helpful is looking at people from church history who have held to some of these perspectives. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, so I don't know if that's something you want to mention now, as we're talking about these who are proponents of some of these perspectives. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't we go ahead and, and hit those because there's like three major ones right early on for, annihilationism like some yeah it's yeah 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 so there's there's a few uh uh-huh yeah i have irenaeus um i also have so this one's tricky because i i just recently read athanasius's on the incarnation which is his most well-known work and so i i kind of thought from reading that particularly i was like well he's obviously a conditionalist uh annihilationist Mm -hmm. but i was actually just reading somebody the other day who said that they thought he was potentially a universalist interesting and so i'm not a hundred percent sure uh but i think at least athanasius is likely or was likely uh a conditionalist and so that's funny because uh, I also I've heard Irenaeus used on multiple sides as well as <laughs> yeah I guess yeah. he was a little ambiguous <laughs> yeah 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 so there's it's interesting because with Athanasius you, there is there is an argument you can make that he was a universalist mm. um, so so basically I think Irenaeus and Athanasius kind of go hand in hand and then if you want to mention the third one in a second. But I think the reason that they go hand in hand well is because when they talk about the idea of salvation, they talk a lot about how 
just as you know humans came from dust someday they're going to dust and the significance of jesus coming is that he came to unite mankind with his divinity and as a result he united our mortality with his immortality Mm. and so with people like irenaeus with athanasius uh, and others you'll have when you're talking about the idea of atonement you're going to have talk of the incarnation Mm. being an extremely high priority uh you know as you think about atonement typically at least for me for most of my life Mm. it was like oh yep the cross that's the atonement Right. And, and, you know, most reformed conversations, that's, that's what the focus is on. Sure. Um, but for Athanasius, it was the incarnation itself was mm-hmm. a major aspect of it. And so, so what Athanasius says on in the incarnation is that, like I said, he says that humans are mortal, mm-hmm. but when they're united with Christ, then that's when humans take on immortality and so so with that it seems pretty obvious that he and he he says pretty clearly something that sounds like conditionalism Hmm. i wish i had the quote written down i mean it's multiple times throughout throughout the book but the the way that it gets tricky i think with athanasius is when he talks about jesus's incarnation and his death and his resurrection or at least his death i'm not sure about resurrection uh-huh. He talks about it being for every man, for the whole world. And yeah. so it's like, okay, so does that mean that every single person now has Jesus's immortality? That at some point, every single person is going to universally right. experience his eternal life? And so that's where it right. got a little confusing. But I would say at least it would be hard to say that he wasn't a conditionalist at, at least. What's the, is the other option just that he, it's like, um, uh, like he would disagree with John Calvin on limited atonement, that it would be unlimited atonement is available, but not necessarily that everyone would experience that. Is that what you're saying is, is the other possibility? Yeah, like if he didn't think necessarily when he says, you know, Jesus's death being for every man, mm-hmm. <laughs> if he meant it in a John Calvin way, sure. or, you know, maybe not John Calvin, because there's argument whether he believed in limited atonement, in a Theodore Beza yeah, kind think. of way, his <laughs> disciple, uh, when he said died for every man, or uh, actually Augustine did the same thing. Uh, when it says, you know, Jesus died for every man, he said, which obviously means all the elect. So if Athanasius thought that, then he could he would be clearly a conditionalist. If not, then gotcha. it seems like he could be a universalist. It's slightly hard to tell with him. Gotcha. But it is interesting because, like you said, with some of these heavy hitters, it is interesting. It would be, I'm not sure, honestly, and I don't think I've even seen this, but I don't know how you would argue that Athanasius was a traditionalist, hmm. which is pretty significant because he's a pr- pretty significant guy in the early church. So yeah, right. I think, um, and this could be jumping ahead a little bit, but mm-hmm. the I think the idea from a lot of Roman Catholics that I listen to is sort of a 
almost like a cherry picking of history of mm. the church has, they'd say there's a development of doctrine, but sort of the church has been consistent um, for the last 2000 years. And the, the mm. doctrine is kind of um, uh, I, I, I don't know. I think it's, I, I think cherry picking maybe is the, <laughs> is the right <laughs> word of their, uh -huh. I think the more you look into a lot of different topics, um, I was mm -hmm. just listening to, um, oh, I think it was actually, uh, uh, the guy that you were, uh, recommending Gavin Ortland the other day, talk about, mm -hmm. uh, the canon of scripture and how, mm -hmm. um, there were, uh, the Eastern Orthodox canon was closer mm -hmm. to what the Protestants have. Um, and even that there were Roman Catholic cardinals up to like the decades before, the Council of Trent that we're still saying, still using even the term um, apocrypha for mm -hmm. for the uh, deuterocanonical books, um, mm -hmm. and referencing Jerome uh, as as their their proof for that, um, and so um, all that to say that I think tradition is a good argument for. Mm -hmm. um, for a lot of topics and it's certainly not something to ignore, which is mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> maybe the Baptist tendency. <laughs> uh, yeah. At least in Baptist churches that we've been in. Um, yeah. but, but the tradition is not like a unified block. It's there's, mm -hmm. there's always been different strands yeah. and it's yeah. more complex than just, uh, this is the tradition. Everyone mm -hmm. in this one thing. Yeah. 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 Which, yeah, let's get to the yeah, universalist sorry. stuff before <laughs> I for that before I launch because <laughs> I was I was about to yeah okay I was about to continue it <laughs> okay okay well, well put a pin in it we can come back yeah um, yeah <laughs> universalism then is the third one um, or ultimate reconciliation any other any other terms for this one yeah universal redemption as long as it has something that has to do with universal in it it's pretty much everybody knows what you're talking about <laughs> right and this is uh not pluralism mm -hmm. right it's not correct every mm -hmm. it's okay for you to um believe anything you want and when you die you realize well you really believed all along yeah. or you were a good um you were a good hindu and when you mm -hmm. when you believed in the hindu teachings yep then that was sufficient for salvation yeah so yeah. they're not saying that so what yeah. are they saying yeah so that's a good distinction to make so you mentioned early on the idea of who goes to heaven and who goes to hell yeah and that's that's a different conversation than what is hell and True. so universalist is talking about what is hell and what's the duration of hell and a pluralist is talking about who goes and who doesn't mm. and okay. so that so there's a couple there's actually kind of a spectrum of that too kind of like how we have this spectrum of these three kind of main positions that we're talking about there's kind of a spectrum of who gets to go to heaven and who doesn't. And so you have right. kind of the traditionalist perspective, which is exclusivism, which is it requires personal faith in Jesus to go to heaven. You have the inclusivist, which is you don't need to 
know Jesus or have faith in Jesus, but it's Jesus who is the one who still supplies you with salvation. So kind of like C.S. Lewis's hopeful position, like you mentioned earlier. Right. And then you have pluralism, which most people are familiar with, which is, well, if you're, you know, a good Muslim, then uh, what's true in Islam is going to be what you experience. And what's true in Hinduism, like you said, is what you're going to experience. All religions are equally valid, equally the same, and equally provide salvation. So, yeah, I think, like you said, that's a good distinction to make that that's not universalism because if you're a christian pluralism is like (laughs) you know that's outside the bounds of orthodoxy and so i I think for myself included and i know a lot of people you hear the term universalism and you equate it with pluralism and you're like whoa (laughs) i can't believe these people are talking about this being a possibility you know how could christians think this it almost feels like saying jesus isn't god or something like that so but yeah, so that's that's the difference between universalism and pluralism. I don't know if you have anything to add to that. Not for universalism and, and pluralism, uh, for the distinction there. Um, I think the maybe an easy way to think of of it is to say it's more like the um, the idea of purgatory, mm. where you go and you're sort yeah. of purged of your sin. Yep, and then you eventually going to get out and get into heaven that's sort of it's sort of like instead of the traditional view of hell it's more like the traditional view of purgatory or the roman catholic purgatory yeah yeah and the biggest difference between the roman catholic perspective of purgatory and the universalist perspective of hell uh which it's interesting like you said so gregory of nyssa who is a big proponent of this he actually uses basically the word purgatory to refer to hell Oh. Um, the biggest, the biggest difference is, is that Catholics believe that Christians are the only ones who go to purgatory before they go to heaven. Mm-hmm. The universalist believes everybody goes to purgatory before they go to heaven. So. Right. Right. And there's also, again, you were talking about exclusivism. There's even different shades of that, of you have to be in a specific church or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> okay. Um, uh, origin, uh, mm-hmm. one of the most <laughs> interesting church fathers, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, which, um, I mean, props to him. He's, he's very early. He doesn't have a lot of, he doesn't have all of the, uh, thousands of years of study that we have to look back on and, and people hashing yeah. out a lot of this stuff. But, yeah. um, I mean, he's, he's out there saying, uh, even the devil and the demons mm-hmm. are going to be redeemed in hell mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. go to heaven. Um, so that's, I think that was uh, pretty quickly. Uh, 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 at some, I don't know what what council it would have been, but <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I think the church kind of quashed that one pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, that was something I was just doing some reading on yesterday. Okay. Um, it was the fifth ecumenical council that people typically think of. And actually, Origen was kind of generically condemned because he had a handful of weird things that he held to. <laughs> um, but uh, but that's that's an interesting conversation. Maybe that we can uh, you know get into more detail at some point. But it it was interesting because what I wasn't aware of because I've heard pretty much what I've heard a lot of is 
if you don't like universalism, you'll say, well, the fifth ecumenical council, mm. you know, squashed this. Okay. And if you're a universalist, you say, no, it didn't. <laughs> and so I hadn't heard the explanation for why or why not. And so I looked into it a bit yesterday, read a big, long academic article on it. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because the common perspective today is that the pieces that people typically hold to that they think um, contra- or, or went against or uh, anathematized mm-hmm. universalism, actually, it doesn't seem like it did. But even more than that, they think that uh, it wasn't even actually originally part of the ecumenical council, that it was added later on. Oh. And so, yeah. What? So that's. You can do that? <laughs> well, not. If you're an emperor, yes. Oh. <laughs> so, nice. Nice. but uh, not just any old guy can do it. But, <laughs> but it was to the point where people, people thought it was part of it later on. And within the past couple of hundred years, there's a big kind of uh, the common perspective is that some of these things weren't even. um, So basically the the bits were the fifth ecumenical council anathematized origin just generically. It just said that he was a heretic, Uh, but it didn't explain what, you know, how and what Um, it's interesting too, because well, we don't need to get too much in the weeds, but there were 15 specific statements about what the council thought was uh, heretical. And those 15 things were the things that they say were later added that weren't actually part of the ecumenical council. Oh, interesting. So, so well, um, can you, <laughs> how can you call someone a heretic without giving the reason why? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and the, I guess the one, the one other piece of it too is that actually so kind of like the idea of uh maybe the modern day example would be you know you have john calvin that lived in the 1500s and then you have modern day calvinists Mm -hmm. and modern day calvinists in a lot of ways differ from john calvin or or can differ from john calvin uh but they're still they still take his name so in the same way you had origin in the second and third Mm -hmm. centuries but you had originists in the sixth century that had different perspectives and even honestly more extreme perspectives than origin. And so part of it, again, this is the argument is that it was more that they were condemning what the people in the six or the five hundreds believed who called themselves followers of origin than what actually origin believed himself. Um, And obviously there's arguments for and against that. So, but all that to say, it's a little bit muddier (laughs) then you know people it's it's easy to think you know at first i thought is universalism even possibly an orthodox position because if a council you know an ecumenical council right uh deemed it heretical then what are we supposed to do with that you know unless you're a baptist then you don't care (laughs) (laughs) but but i i would say you and i are both uh (laughs) uh see the significance of tradition Right. So even as Baptists, so right, right. Uh, sola Scriptura does not uh, does not mean you you don't have to pay attention to any other Christian that yeah came before yeah you. yeah exactly. Just they're fallible. <laughs> yeah, sola my Scriptura interpretation. <laughs> <laughs> Interpretura. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's okay. the sixth Sulla. <laughs> what uh, what uh, else for for universalism? I guess it's it is the um the uh, also the idea I, we, we've been talking about John Calvin. I guess this is mm-hmm. irresistible grace, but for everyone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I heard, uh, so I read a book recently by a guy named uh, David Bentley Hart, who yeah. is a leading universalist. Mm-hmm. And he kind of describes it as, so he doesn't, I I guess there would be some people who, who might have to hold to a Calvinistic perspective of, of irresistible grace if they believed in universalism Mm -hmm. but he used an example of uh somebody a a parent offering to their daughter to eat a piece of bread or a scorpion when she's hungry Mm -hmm. um and a and a rock or something like that and Mm -hmm. it's like it's obvious which she's going to choose because she's you know even though she's hungry you can guarantee which one she's going to eat Mm-hmm. And so in that same way, he, he pretty much says that the terrors of, of hell are bad enough to where nobody in their right mind, if they truly were experiencing the terrors of hell and the goodness of God, would they choose um, to not at some point be redeemed is kind of his argument. So, so yeah. I guess in a way, a type of irresistible grace and and he kind of argues too that it's according to our nature to want what's good and even evil people who do evil bad things they think that it's good for them in some way or else they're just a psycho (laughs) sure so right okay yeah yeah so Mm -hmm. um and and i guess i would mention too we've mentioned some some early church supporters for some of the other positions yeah and for this one so origin was what third century i think and a second or third century sounds right and uh, a little bit after Irenaeus who was yeah. as far as we know a conditionalist and then you also have Gregory of Nyssa who was one of the Cappadocian fathers and he was one of the biggest proponents of universalism early on other than origin mm. and uh, so he was he was also pretty early on fourth century um, and then there are actually a few others that I uh, was unaware of. It's interesting because with some of these people, I haven't read them, uh, their primary sources. And so it is challenging to figure out, you know, who is what. Yeah. Sometimes uh, somebody that I read said Clement of Alexandria, who is uh, also pretty early on, was a traditionalist and yeah. and then uh, David Bentley Hart said Clement of Alexandria was a universalist. Hmm. So those, those two things seem very different, but I guess the difference is, you know, somebody could potentially say that hell is conscious torment and somebody could think, Oh, okay, well they're a traditionalist, but you know, somewhere else they could say, but it's not forever or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I guess that that could be a way that it could be confusing, but there's actually, yeah, a surprising amount of people who were universalists in the first 400 years of church history, really up until Augustine. 
And, uh, and so I think that that's, that's something that's significant for this conversation is that, you know, it was, it was interesting. I was reading, uh, there's a book. If you're, if you're wanting to read a good book on the traditionalist perspective, mm-hmm. I would recommend Hell Under Fire. Which is, uh, I mean, name some big name reformed guys, and they probably wrote a chapter. Uh, mm-hmm. So you have people like Al Mohler, you have um, Sinclair Ferguson, you have J.I. Packer. Actually, John Piper didn't. He's the only one. The one that uh, I can name. <laughs> the only one. Uh, but uh, yeah, Greg Beale, who is known for his, um, his commentary on Revelation, it's kind of mm-hmm. the standard. He wrote a chapter and uh, a few other big name people. So they each wrote an, uh, a chapter okay. and it was compiled into this book. Anyway, uh, so Al Mohler writes about church history's perspective on this. And he pretty much says the first 1600 years, everybody agreed on eternal conscious torment. Mm. And I'm not exactly sure why he says that, yeah. because I think it seems pretty clear yeah. that in the first 400 years, up until Augustine, you do have a lot of variety between these three perspectives. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not sure if maybe he just, it, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how he got there, but I think it's significant in this conversation to recognize really the time that you had the most unity is the medieval period and, right. and the reformation. And then before that and after that, you have a lot of variety between these three perspectives. And so, um, yeah, I think that that's significant. Okay. I will, I will put that, a link to that book in the show notes. I don't think we've had anything else so far, uh, unless you want Great. that David Bentley Hart, would you recommend that one too? Yeah. Yeah. No, I would definitely, if you ask me which one I enjoyed more, <laughs> I enjoyed <laughs> David Bentley Hart's book much more. Um, but uh, that one is called "That All Shall Be Saved," and yeah. so that one was that one was a much better book than I was expecting. Honestly, I was thinking oh, I'm going to read this, and it's not going to be very. It's you know the arguments are going to be pretty weak, and I'll move on. Uh-huh. Uh, showing my cards a little bit, <laughs> <laughs> and I read it, and I was I was shaken a bit. Uh-huh. So okay, yeah. So, but yeah, okay. well, so we... definitely recommend that. Why don't we just go ahead and get get the cards on the table? I have a few, yeah. I think a few things to say for that I that we passed over for the different views. But why don't you? So yeah. We both grew up. Eternal conscious torment was just kind of assumed. Yeah. I don't think this was ever discussed. Maybe in college. Maybe I heard it at some point. Certainly not before that. Um, <laughs> I don't think. Yeah. So what? Yeah. Uh, where have you gone? from yeah yeah so no definitely didn't have any conversations about hell uh in growing up years college years nothing like that and actually so i personally started just thinking a bit more about it and Mm -hmm. having some questions and trying to figure some things out when i met amanda because so it's actually kind of a personal reason is Mm -hmm. her parents are not Christian or sorry, her grandparents are not Christians. Mm. 
And they, she and her parents have been praying for them for years and years and years and years and years. Yeah. And they're getting obviously towards the end of their life. And so that was a conversation that she and I had multiple times early yeah. on. And I just thought so many times, man, what am I supposed to tell her to, to comfort her? Like, what yeah. do I do when they pass away? Right. I don't know what comfort you can, you can give uh, from, a, from an eternal conscious torment traditionalist perspective. And so I was just yeah. trying to wrestle through that and figure some, some things out. And it was kind of during that time, really the only conclusion that I came to was, okay, well maybe, or maybe not, it's a physical torment. Maybe it's not physical. Um, I'd heard some people say that it, it potentially wasn't that talk of fire and, Mm-hmm. you know, worms and things like that eating your body were uh, allegorical or illustrative. Right. And, uh, and then on top of that, the second thing in this, you know, this, I was kind of like, wow, I'm kind of going a little out on, on the edge here of, uh, you know, acceptable by thinking this, but thinking the, the idea that all judgment, all uh, final judgment isn't equal um, that different people face a different level of final judgment. Um, so somebody like, <clears throat> you know, Hitler who killed millions of people versus mm-hmm. the person who lived a generally, you know, religious life, didn't murder anybody, things like that, uh, that there'd be different levels of judgment. So you can, you know, New Testament pretty clearly, Jesus says stuff like it'll be worse for so-and-so on the day of judgment than so-and-so. Yep. Yep. And so that was really, I mean, all that I had gotten to and, um, and just other than that, just kind of being generally, generally hopeful of, you know, who knows what's happening in the final moments of people's lives and just, just hoping that something was, was going to be different. But at the same time, as I'd say emotional as this topic is something that we can't do is just start making stuff up however we want it to be if we're orthodox christians obviously right yep you know and so i i obviously never even thought of well i'll just try to pick something that or come up with something that sounds really nice and then i'll just start to think that and start telling myself that or maybe just try to tell myself hell isn't real or something along those lines so that's really where i was uh so we we met what about seven years ago so it was about seven years ago that i really just started thinking about this Hmm. and not necessarily too much changing my perspective, but more like asking the questions like what kind of comfort could I give to somebody whose family member passes away? Yeah. Which, which I would still say I think is one of the biggest, most challenging questions for an eternal conscious torment perspective. Hmm. And honestly, I'm still not sure if you can give them much comfort. Um, and so as maybe you, you share your perspective in a minute, if you have some thoughts on that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, probably about a year ago, I would say I saw the, the YouTube videos that you had talked about by Preston Sprinkle, and maybe you could, you could link those in the show notes too. those. Those are helpful from, from his perspective and describing a little bit more the three perspectives we've talked about. Right. Um, and so he talked about annihilation and the idea of annihilation and, and just kind of was saying like, Hey, 
biblically speaking, you see annihilation all throughout scripture. Do you see eternal conscious torment throughout scripture? Not really. You see a couple passages that seem like it could be. And I thought, wow, this is, this is crazy <laughs> because I've never heard anybody else question this. And mm-hmm. the fact that it, there's such a significant question or pushback was just surprising to me. Mm-hmm. So I looked into it a bit more. I've read a bit on it. It's one of those things where when you jump in, you realize there's a lot more in it than you originally thought. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> and so I would say as after listening to Preston Sprinkle, I've done a lot more reading of some of the early church fathers. Mm. And I think some of them have also kind of some of their thinking has, has kind of um, influenced me away from ECT. Hmm. Um, Particularly reading Athanasius and Gregory of Nyssa and uh, Hilary of Poitiers, who lived a little bit, just a little bit after Gregory of Nyssa (laughs) in the, in the four hundreds. And, uh, so, so yeah, I, I still feel like I have a lot to learn, a lot more reading to do, sure. but I'd say at this point I have, I have more questions and I don't necessarily have a strong, this is, you know, where I'm at, I'm confident this is what scripture teaches the end. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but with that being said, I would say that I lean more heavily towards conditionalism uh, or annihilationism and with the possibility of universalism, hmm. it's something that I still, like I said, reading David Bentley Hart yeah. was surprising to me how, how significant some of his arguments were. And so, so I would say if I had to rank where I'm at, if I, if you said, Matt, pick your top three, you know, <laughs> Since right. this is 10 to 1, <laughs> I would yeah. say conditionalism, I think, is the most convincing. Universalism is second most convincing. And then traditionalism is third most convincing at this point. Oh, interesting. Okay. So could I be swayed for sure? Because, like I said, I think as I've dived into this, dove, in, dove <laughs> into this, yeah. there's, there's still questions that i have Have you as you've descended into it yeah (laughs) yes exactly (laughs) so so that's that's where i'm at right now i would say if i got to pick which i think is the most uh if god said matt whatever you think is the best one that's how it's going to be i would pick universalism (laughs) sure but but it seems to me that the argument for annihilationism, even though there are some challenges that you still face with that perspective, mm-hmm. it seems like to me at this point that has the strongest arguments. So, oh, okay. Interesting. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So what about you? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think where I moved when I, um, from not really thinking about it at all to, what you're talking about, like some of those videos that Michael was talking about and then reading a little Mm -hmm. bit more after that is where I would have said, I think I would have said universalism is heretical. Yeah. 
and I don't, uh, and maybe I would have said Annihilation is, I don't know if I would have said it's heretical. <laughs> yeah. Um, heterodox, certainly. So, yeah. Not, yeah. Not a, so if we say orthodox is sort of the kind of agreed upon views, and then heterodox is outside the agreement, but still acceptable. Yeah. And then heretical is sort of, uh, you have to kind of draw lines and say you're not. You're not inside the uh, the correct church thinking here. Um, I would I've moved it moved me to say I think all three of these are um, at least heterodox. I, I, I'm not I'm not going to say somebody's heretical for for. Sorry, say that again. All three are heterodox. All three are at minimum heterodox, heterodox or orthodox. Like none of them are heretical. I'm saying. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Like pluralism, I would still say we were saying earlier would be heretical. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but okay. I think all three are. You can believe all three and be a a a Christian within the bounds of traditional Christianity, I guess. Uh-huh. Okay, so all three are orthodox. Maybe so. Like to oh, wait. it is hard Sorry. to say. Yeah. Okay. Wait. So, so tell me what your definition of heterodox is outside of normal. Sure. Like it's okay. It's not the majority, but it's still within the bounds uh-huh. of. Yeah, I, and I'm sure there's a yeah. there's better. You could give a better technical definition for. No, it's all right for those three. <clears throat> I would say, uh, like you're saying, there's much less ag- agreement during the. Uh, is it the patristic period? Is that what we yeah. call those first few centuries? Yeah, yeah. And since basically the reformers' position was, we're going back to the patristic era mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. with some of our views, and that the medievals sort of kind of picked onto one track and went that way for a thousand years, and mm-hmm. we're we're maybe going back to the earlier church fathers for for some of yeah. those ideas because they agree more with scripture. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm I I think that you can do that here and mm-hmm. um, say, um, you know, if we zoomed out and maybe in 500 years, mm-hmm. nobody believes the traditional view anymore. Yeah. Um, but I would say I'm <clears throat> I'm that's where I still am. I'd still say I'm an uh-huh. infernalist. Uh-huh. Um, I do I do think the the pictures that. Um, uh, like C.S. Lewis and and Thomas Aquinas give of um, of sin being uncreation, and so mm. the person that is eventually damned is the person that's uncreated themselves through sin mm. to the point mm-hmm. where, um, and and maybe this is another distinction that maybe is a finer distinction than people are are thinking of for. Um, Infernalism versus conditionalism. Uh-huh. What does conscious mean? <laughs> and what does uh-huh. eternal mean? When mm. you're, you know, um, when um, uh, if you believe that somebody's soul has been just like riddled with so many holes through sin that they're mm. um, subhuman, basically. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and um, I, I think CS. I don't know if it was. C.S. Lewis that came up with the picture, but the idea of hell being locked from the inside, yeah, mm-hmm. and that um, the 
uh, the glory of God would be so, uh, if you think of it as like a bright light and it's hard to look mm-hmm. into the yeah. light that it's some, it would be painful for them to be in God's presence. Yeah. And they're choosing to be away from God, even though that's also terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those are still, those still resonate with me. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the passages, um, uh, that, uh, okay. So let's, let's just go through some of the passages. Yeah. Anything Actually, you... let me real quick, let me ask okay. you a clarifying question. Okay. So you said all, when you were saying all three positions are heterodox, were you including the traditionalist perspective? Yeah. I wasn't saying they're all three heterodox. I was saying none of them are heretical. Oh, I gotcha. I gotcha. What I was okay. To say. I gotcha. Okay. I, I took it to mean you were saying all three of them are abnormal no sorry <laughs> and i was sorry. like oh okay i'm confused <laughs> no, <laughs> where, I'm saying... where we're supposed to go from here <laughs> no. <laughs> okay i'm okay. here to propose that... a fourth option <laughs> yeah i call it coderism uh, yeah <laughs> i already beat you to it <laughs> yeah uh, hell is actually a 7-eleven with a broken slurping machine <laughs> yeah no <laughs> Uh, okay okay good that that entire explanation i'm in the back of my head like what is happening i'm sorry i just meant none of them are heretical i'm not gonna say to anyone holding those three positions like i'm breaking fellowship or you're um like you're outside the bounds yeah yeah um i good news for micah (laughs) yeah (laughs) i do uh okay so with the annihilationism, a lot uh-huh. of the arguments. Uh, so, like Preston Sprinkle, he goes through a ton of verses in the Old Testament. Yeah. Um, if you, what I've been taught is that uh, Judaism did not really have an idea of eternal life mm-hmm. until mm-hmm. maybe the intertestamental period. Um, uh-huh. Some people, I know, some people disagree. I've heard like, um, uh, like Pastor Douglas Wilson. Doug Wilson say um, Hmm. that in the Old Testament they had an idea of the resurrection and I think like Mm -hmm. Job and and David he points at and Uh maybe some Psalms but -hmm. at least what I've been what I've mostly heard is that they pretty much believed they were going to die and that was it Um, if that's true I don't think you could really use the Old Testament to argue one way or the other because they would have just by default believed annihilationism for um, good and evil mm-hmm. either way mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so to me then you can't, really, you can't really argue from the Old Testament if they had the idea of the resurrection then I think that's back Old Testament's back in play um, <laughs> then um, I think then a lot of the verses in the New Testament uh, where they say eternal um, punishment doesn't mean eternal punishing, like you're saying. I yeah. think that is a good argument. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, I think that's, that makes sense. Um, then when you get to Revelation 20, and I think it's explicit that the the devil is in torment forever, but it's not explicit that the humans are... Um, but I think, but to me, that's, I guess, I guess I'm inferring that. Yeah. That's the most common inference. Um, I, 
again would question why there and and again since we're baptist it's it's not a, like a slam dunk argument but to say that nobody believed in annihilationism from athanasius or or from yeah. people from athanasius until yeah. the millerites is what i've read so that's okay. what jehovah's witnesses split from mm-hmm. and the seventh day adventists um to say that they were the ones that then recovered this Mm. I think yeah, that at least that a... would stink if the Jehovah's Witnesses recovered <laughs> orthodoxy. <laughs> yeah, that's at <laughs> might least a be question. An, <laughs> might be an issue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, for um, uh, <laughs> the uh, okay, so then the immortality of the soul. Um, uh-huh. Another one that I've heard is uh, that that was a uh, so that was a Platonic idea. Uh, Plato, uh-huh. the idea of the immortality of the soul, uh-huh. and so if if we say that that's not, uh, and according to Preston Sprinkle, which um, uh, as somebody else pointed out, uh, the fact that uh, that two parents named their child Preston Sprinkle. Uh, <laughs> Is the question I always have when I watch one of his videos. But oh, poor guy. That aside. <laughs> that aside. Um, <laughs> uh, if he's corrected, that's no longer a an agreed upon presupposition that the soul is immortal. Mm-hmm. I'd say that mm-hmm. is definitely a, a huge <clears throat> argument for yeah. for conditionalism. Have you read any or or heard any more about that? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, so actually, to go along with that and your comments about the Old Testament, okay, yeah. I actually think a significant reason that has pushed me towards annihilation or conditionalism is reading the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting. I mean, it's tricky when people say, well, what did the Jews believe before Jesus? Because one, it's just hard to know, yeah. <laughs> obviously. Sure. But two, there were definitely things that the Jews got wrong mm-hmm. that wasn't necessarily what the Old Testament was teaching. And so mm-hmm. what we're supposed to do as Christians, I this is my perspective. Mm-hmm. I don't think our perspective as Christians is, well, what did the Jews believe 3,000 years ago, and that's what we should believe as Christians. That's our foundation. Yeah. But what does the Old Testament say interpreted correctly? And so whether the Jews believed in life after death or not, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure, honestly. I've heard kind of similar things as to what you were saying about they didn't didn't believe in life after death Mm -hmm. um, until the intertestamental period. Uh whether that's reality or not, I'm not sure. But what I think is significant is that in the Old Testament, I think you do have a lot of, um, a whole lot of doctrine that we typically think of as New Testament doctrine that Mm -hmm. is in the Old Testament. And so, you know, in one kind of quick and easy passage to point to is in Luke 24, when Jesus is talking to his disciples and talking to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, mm-hmm. he goes to the Old Testament and he says, let me let me show you how all this stuff is about me, how all this stuff had to be yeah. fulfilled by me, pointing to me. And so 
Um, so, you know, you can read the Old Testament, you read about the resurrection, Jesus's resurrection, you read, for example, I've been reading the Psalms a lot recently. Yeah. And in the Psalms, you have all kinds of stuff. You have, uh, you have Jesus's death, you have Jesus's resurrection, mm-hmm. you have the Psalms talking about the Trinity, I think, you have the kingdom of God, you have all kinds of things yeah. in Psalms. And so when you read the Psalms, it's actually interesting if you want to uh, pop open to, if you have a Bible with you, Psalm 37. Let me see if I can find what verse. Um, so as you as you read through the Psalms, something, and again, this is kind of my early church, and, and I would say the Reformers did this too. Mm-hmm. Uh, influence is the Psalms being about Jesus. Uh, and you know, that can be nuanced what that means depending on what Psalm it is. But in Psalm 37, if you're just reading it about David and about David's life, then, you know, that's one thing. But if you're reading it in light of the new Testament, I think, um, if you're reading it and you're wondering, does this describe life from a conditionalist perspective? Does it describe life from a traditionalist perspective mm-hmm. i think i think it it supports the conditionalist perspective throughout the throughout the chapter so okay. first one psalm psalm 37 2 um he actually look at verse one he says do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong for like the grass they will soon wither like the green plants they will soon die away sorry mm-hmm. i'm i'm reading niv let me read the esv okay. uh Envious wrongdoers, but <laughs> no, either one, either one works. Uh, actually, the ESV is. Uh, I've actually been reading. <laughs> I've actually been reading the Septuagint uh, cool. translation of the Psalms, and so that's been interesting. Uh, the NIV is interesting because they just have some problems. Uh, generally, I like the NIV, <laughs> but they have some problems. In uh, the Psalms, especially that we can talk about some other podcasts. Okay. Uh, all right. So, so he says, verse two: For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Mm-hmm. Jump down to verse uh, nine. So the evil are going to be like the grass; they're going to wither away. Uh, verse nine: For the evil doers shall be cut off. For those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. Uh, jump down to verse 18. Uh, the Lord knows the day of the blameless and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance, but the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory, uh, are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. The wicked mm-hmm. borrows, but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. A couple more spots. And I, I'm just reading more of these because I think Psalm 37 is one of the most uh, clear of all the Psalms, even though some of these things you're reading in Psalm 37, you'll see throughout the Psalms. Uh, verse 27 says, Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice, he will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. Verse 29, the righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. Mm. Uh, Verse 34, 
says, wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land you will look on when the wicked are cut off. Uh, And then finally, verses 36 through 38, he says, but he passed away, the wicked man, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace, but transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. So with all those verses, I know that was a lot of verses, uh, but again, I think what you read in Psalm 37 is representative of what you're reading throughout the Psalms. Sure. And and that one, we didn't read any of the, the bits that uh, seem to be pointing to Jesus and uh, his death and his resurrection. But what you see alongside throughout the Psalms of it talking a lot about what Jesus is accomplishing by his death, mm-hmm. by his sacrifice, and by his, his raising to life, uh, this is kind of mixed side by side with that, where you're seeing the death are cut off, the death are cut off. They're like smoke. They vanish away. Okay. They wither away. They're destroyed. They're no more. You can't find them anywhere. But mm-hmm. the righteous dwell forever. They live forever. Okay. Uh, they inherit the land forever, things like that. And so as you read through the Old Testament, it's actually, it's interesting because again, pointing back to the Hell Under Fire book, Mm-hmm. Um, there's a chapter on hell in the Old Testament. And at the beginning of the chapter, the guy writing the chapter says, the Old Testament actually doesn't talk about hell. And mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think if you have a traditionalist perspective, it is really hard to see hell in the Old Testament, um, the idea of hell in the Old Testament. But I think if you have, if you are just reading the Old Testament, what is it telling us? about Jesus, what he comes to do, life mm-hmm. in him. Uh, I think like we saw in Psalm 37, there's, uh, it seems to be pointing towards a conditionalist perspective. Right. So, well, and yeah, and I see, well, and I agree. Like I agree with everything that you mm-hmm. just said, but I mm-hmm. don't think, I think we're talking about two different things because what I'm saying is if they didn't have the idea of, of the resurrection uh-huh. then that is what they believe conditionalism yeah. and so uh-huh. let's yeah. just say for the sake of argument that there's an eternal heaven and an eternal hell um, mm-hmm. or that a person goes to one or other for eternity consciously if you are if God is going to then tell the Jews at this point about those or give them pictures about final judgment uh-huh. Like, what other way would you would mm. you communicate that to them? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, like he's um, right. So, I definitely I see what you're saying, and I agree that mm-hmm. pictures are all about vanishing, getting mm-hmm. burned up. Um, but that would be the one thing I would say. Like, he is talking to people that don't maybe have the idea of life after death, if that's true. Mm. Uh-huh. And that's how you would talk to them. And the second one would mm. be, it is all pictures. And uh, and it is tricky to to get theology from illustrations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To really nail it down. Um, yeah. And that the, the reality is always greater than the picture. That's actually another... Mm-hmm. Uh, 
another Doug Wilson ism. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Heard that one recently. Right. So if you say um, like burning up with fire, uh-huh. um, like what does that mean? Then <clears throat> you were saying earlier that could that's just a that could just be a a metaphor or a <clears throat> a picture. <clears throat> that would mean the reality is worse than getting burned up with fire in mm-hmm. some way. Mm-hmm. So. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. And, and I would say that it's, is it, you read through the Psalms, you read through the old Testament and it's cut and dry. Obviously conditionalism is the right perspective. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. But I think when you do read the old Testament, it's not, it's easier to argue for a conditionalist perspective than it is to argue for a traditionalist perspective in the, yeah. in the old Testament. And I think, I think the same thing goes if the old Testament is the foundation of the new Testament, which I think it is. Mm-hmm. And then I think when you get to the new Testament and you're having these conversations, it's not that the old Testament is just telling you about life on earth. And then all of a sudden you get to the new Testament and it's like, wait, what? <laughs> there's more stuff here. This is, you know, now we got to start thinking about bigger stuff. (laughs) Um, then just life here on earth. I think throughout the whole, from old to new, you have the idea of life that continues on even beyond this, this earth, um, this, you know, 70 years of existence or whatever. Yeah. And so if the old Testament is your perspective, your foundation that you've built, Mm-hmm. You're not coming into the New Testament. You're not coming into New Testament teaching with this idea of the immortality of the um, the innate immortality of the soul. And so when Jesus is talking about, you know, hell burning things up and things like that in the New Testament, mm-hmm. to get to the point where you're saying, oh, well, this is people that are going to last forever being burned up doesn't seem like it fits well with the foundation that you're getting from the old Testament. And obviously he's speaking, um, or, uh, yeah, I'll just, I'll just pause there. I think it feels like it's more of a stretch Mm. to get to, you know, the things that Jesus talks about. He talks about the fire is eternal for Mm -hmm. sure. He talks about the worms don't die. He talks about punishment seeming to be eternal. Mm -hmm. Um, but, and he does say that there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, but he also doesn't say, I guess, that because the fire is eternal, that the weeping and gnashing of teeth is eternal. That's something that is assumed. Sure. But I think those things put into context, I guess, of the Old Testament and even other New Testament passages, it just, to me at this point, again, like I said, it mm-hmm. seems harder to you know is the traditionalist perspective plausible to me for sure <laughs> yeah, yeah. or else you wouldn't have so many people thinking it right but saying all, i think all of them are plausible yeah yeah and so so i guess what i think though is that it seems like the traditionalist perspective is harder to argue from the text than the conditionalist perspective um mm-hmm. and i think on top of that um, again, with with a lot of the early church fathers, they argue for 
the mortality of of humanity, the mortality of our souls, mm-hmm. uh, even though you know Plato argued for the immortality of the soul. Sure. And so, there's something else you said that I wanted to respond to, and I can't remember what it was. Uh-huh. Uh, mm, well, uh-huh. it'll come to me eventually. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I I would be I would be curious to read more of what. Uh, the idea of eternal and the the idea of again of um of conscious mm-hmm. i don't think we really understand what what that looks like in the mm-hmm. in the new like at the end of time mm-hmm. so to speak um so yeah 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 and and just for clarity's sake too i know we talked about this <clears throat> earlier the difference between conditionalists uh-huh. But I am of the perspective that even if conditionalism is reality, it does seem like there is a conscious time of judgment for sin. Mm. Um, so I don't think it's just that you just die and that's that's the total end of it right there. Um, and so, uh, but what what I was going to say, and if you have a question about that, we can talk about that in a minute. I, I remembered... You were asking the question, well, what about that thousand years of church history where, you know, people were just believing in the traditionalist perspective what happened? Right. Was Why it the Jehovah's Witnesses that brought it back? Push back on this one. Yeah, yeah. And so this is actually something that I've thought about too mm. and was just trying to figure out, like, why, you know, how could this be the case, especially with something that's, you know, as terrible as the idea of an infernalist perspective on hell, like you would think that it would cause you to ask some questions sometimes. Uh-huh. Um, and so, so I think, and this is, this is something that I've reasoned for myself. And then actually, as I've read some other people, they've come to the same reasoning. And so I think that this is, this seems like it's a legitimate, perspective that um so you have these three different perspectives in the early church Mm -hmm. you have augustine who is really the one who just you know (laughs) makes the traditionalist view the traditionalist view uh, because he's very strong on it he writes a a long bit on it and people are like, okay, yeah, Augustine said it. <laughs> like that's that's what I think too. That's pretty good. <laughs> uh, which, yeah, that he did that with a lot of things. And so, and so, into the Middle Ages, I mean, he was a huge, huge um, um, influence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even on the reformers, he was a huge influence. And so, sure. the reformers definitely said, hey, we want to go back to the early church, and that was a thing. But the biggest influence in the Reformation, I would argue, was Augustine. Mm. And so, uh, you know, even mm. Martin Luther's soteriology, John Calvin's soteriology was very Augustinian. Mm. And so, the reason that, you know, the Reformers wouldn't necessarily go back to some of the other two perspectives could be because Augustine was their guy um, and had the most influence on them. I think that that could be part of it, but mm, there's another yeah. piece that I think is, is also a big part of it. And I think that that is that 
you know, in the medieval time period, when you had Christendom, and even during the Reformation, everybody that you knew was a Christian, everybody that you knew belonged to the church. Okay. You know, there were definitely Jews out there. There were definitely the the pagan Muslims out there, but right. pretty much every person that you knew was somebody who was, you know, they were going to go to purgatory, <laughs> but then eventually they were going to go to heaven. <laughs> and, uh, and the Reformation, maybe it's a little bit trickier. Did they think Catholics were going to, you know, go to heaven? I think probably most of them thought that they were, just not the Pope. Okay. Um, (laughs) but most people that they knew were people who they thought were going to go to heaven. So when it comes to the idea of hell, if it's not something that, you know, people personally that are going to go to, it's really easy to not think too much about it. I think personally, at Mm -hmm. least that's my, my personal experience. Mm -hmm. The reason that I really started thinking about it was because I became very close to people who I didn't know if they were going there mm. uh, when Amanda and I started dating. Um, and so, but then during the time of the, you know, it's interesting because it's actually during the, the time of the enlightenment, you know, in the 1700s and beyond that some other perspectives and ideas come up uh, different perspectives on hell. Uh-huh. And if you know anything about the enlightenment, you also know people are starting to, wonder if the Bible is inspired and Mm -hmm. you also have, you know, liberal Christianity arise at the end of the 1700s. And so people are like, Oh, well, if that's when they started questioning this stuff, then obviously it's a result of liberal Christianity and not believing the Bible. Um, that could be the case. And that's, that's what Al Mohler argues for. Hmm. But I wonder if a big reason is that people started knowing people who were outright rejecting Christianity. And now, and even into the 1800s, the 1900s, there's lots of people that people know who are now not Christian at all in any sense of the word. Mm -hmm. And now you're having to deal with what do I, you know, what does the Bible say is going to happen to this particular family member or this friend or my neighbor who isn't a Christian in a way that I think the thousand years before that, people didn't necessarily have to think about as much Mm. uh, as, as seriously. And so does that mean that they were wrong? For sure. It doesn't, but I think it's something that I think it's more understandable why people can think something for so long Mm -hmm. and, and not be right. Yeah. I think, I think the reformers going back to Augustine is a really good argument um, I think you might be for your second one overstating the confidence that Roman Catholics have of going to heaven. <laughs> um, and uh, that seems like that was part of what the reformers wanted to take away was the fear of of the people um, mm. that they were not um, that, that they had to do so much to obtain grace. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Maybe maybe more in the in the um, priesthood, uh, so to speak. That was more of an attitude. Um, so, like the theologian, maybe isn't thinking um, about hell. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I have to think about that one. Yeah, yeah. And and I would say that what I would push back with that is it wasn't that the Catholics 
you know, the everyday Catholic was going to be, you know, going to die and, and immediately enter into heavenly bliss, but Mm -hmm. that, you know, they were going to go to purgatory. They were going to suffer for a while, but eventually, you know, if you're in purgatory, eventually you get to go to heaven. It's not that you're a condemned, you know, heretic or pagan. Sure. But if you, that's a different situation. If you die with mortal sin, you're not going to purgatory. Mm. True, true, true. So I don't know that list off the top of my head, but I'm sure there were people. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) True. Adultery, uh, murder, and something else. (laughs) Okay. That's not too long. Um, You can keep away from those. Yeah. 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 Those are a bit easier. So, yeah. So that's that's a possibility. Um, It's a possibility. It certainly, I will agree with you that it seems like the shift in this seems to be coming from a i think it's coming more from an emotional mm. place than from a uh-huh. something is changed with um with the uh, because uh, and cs lewis argues this for um just in general not not for this topic but he argues mm-hmm. that um People don't generally make discoveries in the world. Something changes in the world, and then their philosophy changes from that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That does happen, but primarily it's people's philosophy changes, and then that changes how they interpret things. So mm. For example, yeah. Yeah. before Darwin um, found his finches <laughs> and and started talking about evolution, there was already that kind of enlightenment idea of we're progressing forward and so because he had that kind of philosophy in place then he was able to go from there and and um find then evidence in the world for for that philosophy so i i do and and again that's not that's not necessarily that doesn't prove that it's wrong either uh-huh. but i do think yes i would rather um someone be um not tormented forever (laughs) (laughs) for sure yeah i'm glad (laughs) so if we're picking what we want yeah then yeah for sure uh, from my limited perspective that does seem better Uh um uh yeah you want to talk about universalism just a little bit and then we should probably wrap it up (laughs) yeah uh yeah did you have particular thoughts on universalism or did you have any questions that you were well, I thinking a couple, i had a couple thoughts maybe you can tell me if if hart gets into this okay. in his book or if you've seen this anywhere else um okay. so i i think the kind of the like knee-jerk reaction is um uh, uh, that uh, universal universalism is even more loving it's like the most loving position mm-hmm. yeah it's yeah. the um you know you're going to emphasize that God is love and loves mm-hmm. all mankind. And so he wants to bring everybody in. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and so like, could God torment someone eternally? Is that consistent mm-hmm. with God? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But unless you go full origin and I wouldn't recommend to, to <laughs> anyone going full origin, <laughs> maybe in any aspect, uh, um, <laughs> then you're still saying that he is tormenting the devil or he created Mm. hell, which will torment the devil. 
So yeah. he's still an eternal tormentor, even if you take people out of the equation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm not even sure that the perspective of like God torments you until you believe is mm-hmm. a more loving position. Mm. like you know he sent like hitler uh-huh. is terrible and then hitler goes to hell and yeah god burns him until hitler decides he's gonna mm-hmm. like you said choose the bread instead of the scorpion yeah yeah <laughs> so so what do you yeah. think about <laughs> about those yeah two? think about those yeah yeah, yeah. so it's interesting because actually something you said earlier reminded me of something very similar to what he said in his book so just taking your second question first. Okay. So you were talking about with C.S. Lewis and him talking about God's glory. It's something that is repulsive or whatever the word was that you used for non-believers. And so even though separation from him is terrible, it's they would pick that over being in the presence of God whose glory is, is painful or whatever, whatever the case might be for them. Sure, sure. So that's basically what his explanation is of what purgatory or hell is is that it's an exposure to god's glory that for a sinner is repulsive initially but that eventually they're able to see it as Mm. as it truly is as their ultimate good and it takes time so it's not necessarily that you know they pick the scorpion and god's like all right 10 more years of torture until you pick the bread you know Sure. It's like sanctification after death. Pretty much. And yes, I would say maybe extreme sanctification. Um, But yeah, but yeah, basically that idea. So I don't know if uh, that... That should have been the title of the episode. (laughs) Extreme sanctification. forever or extreme sanctification. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You could always change it. (laughs) That could be the... Torture, death, or extreme sanctification. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, so I guess in that sense, it seems his argument is more of God will do whatever it takes for somebody to experience his life, Mm -hmm. even though to them it's painful. And so that's that's kind of what what he argues. And so I think... It doesn't seem to me that that is a unloving thing for him to do. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure if that explanation helps or if you're like, okay, I still don't see how that's loving. Sure. No, I see. I think I see that argument. You're saying it would be, maybe you'd say like it's more loving for them to go through pain and then be redeemed then for them to be snuffed out or obviously for them to be um, tortured forever. So then mm-hmm. at that point you move it to like, what is the state of a person at death and is it possible for them to, to be changed? It's more of a, that mm. kind of a discussion versus is this a loving act or not? Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Okay. and then what was, what was the first piece that you mentioned? I don't remember. First one. So an argument I've heard is, um, Uh, the most loving consistent with God for him to be torturing Mm. people forever. Yeah. 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 I think that's actually to me, 
I think that that's a strong argument against traditionalism. So I'd be curious to hear some of your thoughts on that if we have time. Um, and actually, bef so before I kind of give my perspective on that, I would say I agree with you that I think a lot of the reason for the change in just where people are at with this has been connected with emotion. And so I, I definitely agree with you. And I think for somebody to say, I thought long and hard about hell and I wasn't emotionally moved in any way to think about a different perspective, mm -hmm. I think is just like, <laughs> that doesn't seem humane, at least not Christian. Sure. And so, so I don't think it's necessarily wrong that a lot of this has come from no. emotion necessarily. I think it's good for you as, as you mentioned, and this is something that I've been trying to uh, do myself is not to just jump ship because it seems like, Oh yeah, this seems like this makes sense. And emotionally, this is a lot better. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to just switch to something because, sure. you know, because of that. And so I think, you know, and, and seeing how, uh, how big this conversation is and how many questions there are, I think just it's, it's wise to not just jump ship really quickly from yeah. a perspective that's been a longstanding perspective in the church. Um, you know, a, uh, a uh, Presbyterian could argue the same thing about infant baptism, which I don't know your perspective <laughs> on baptism at this point. Maybe this, that argument doesn't apply at all. Yeah. But anyway, so, so I, I don't think that that's necessarily a, a, bad thing that this has been connected with emotion. Uh, and, there, and I would say, I yeah, yeah. And I would say too, I think that some of the, so there's definitely a, there definitely has to be caution when it comes to, well, what do you think about this? How do you feel about this? Mm -hmm. But I also think as believers, if you're spending time in the word, if you're, you know, communing with God, if you're growing as a believer, you're, you're in the church, you're participating in the Lord's Supper, you're growing in your spiritual discernment. And so I would say for somebody who is maturing in their spiritual discernment to say, this seems like, or I'm starting to ask questions if this particular perspective matches with God's character that I, that I know from scripture and from my, my uh, spiritual discernment that's growing. Mm -hmm. I think that that's, I, I don't think that that's insignificant. So yeah. I would just throw that out there. Cause I think it's more common, especially from a traditionalist argument to say, if you just think something differently because you're questioning stuff, that's a bad, that's a bad thing. And I don't think it necessarily is, but it's an easy argument to make. Sure. So, yeah. so I just wanted to, to throw that out there. All right. So back to your question about your initial question. Is it, is it more loving? Is that, that's kind of what you were well, saying? People are saying, so the argument is it's, it's not consistent with God's love for him to torture people forever. Mm -hmm. But yeah, even the yeah. people that are universalist are going to say he is torturing the devil forever. Mm, okay. Gotcha. So you don't, so, you don't, uh, you don't <clears throat> avoid that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So 
honestly, it depends. It depends on what universalist you talk to. So David Bentley Hart, I think he's not, his focus isn't necessarily on what's happening with Satan and the demons, but it seems like his perspective is, is that Satan is not going to be tortured for forever. Um, And so, which is also a perspective that origin held. Um, And again, the, you know, initially I would have thought, okay, well that's what got him condemned. But I think it was some of the other things that got him condemned for heresy, like the preexistence of souls and then Mm. eternal existence being disembodied existence. Mm. Um, And, and non-individual existence where we're all just kind of subsumed into Jesus and we're not any more individuals. Yeah. Um, and all physical matter is destroyed. Um, so right. just, just because origin didn't think that, uh, or just because origin thought that the devil and the, and the demons were one day going to be restored. Um, mm. I don't think that that, is what the ecumenical council was anathematizing. Okay. And so, yeah, I think David Bentley Hart would argue that that's, <clears throat> that that's part of the package deal, that there's not going to be any rational being that <clears throat> passes out of existence or mm-hmm. isn't experiencing God's life and presence. Um, so that's what he would say. Yeah. I would say it's, challenging and his if you're just curious like well how can he say that you read revelation 20 it's hard to argue that uh right his his yeah his biggest argument and this is well he has several arguments one of his biggest arguments one of his biggest scriptural arguments i should say is the meaning of eternal or forever Mm -hmm. and so in greek there isn't a word that means forever or eternal it's they put it into the age uh, or into the ages of the ages or things like that so so he he would say yeah yeah exactly to the end of the age something like that right and so he he argues that could be a really long time that could be lots of ages but Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that it's never ending like we think in english Sure. So that's his argument. I think it's, I think it's, uh, it's not the, str- it's, I wouldn't become a universalist based on that argument. And that's kind of what I was expecting his whole argument to be. Mm-hmm. He has more, uh, which again, I would recommend it whether or not you become a universalist at the end or not. <laughs> but, uh, but that's, that's, it's more of him saying there's room to see that this doesn't mean forever and ever, never ending. And then he has his other arguments. So that's kind of how he gets to that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I've heard that too. You just then, mm-hmm. I mean, just keep bringing up more questions then though. Cause then you ask, <laughs> so we believe that heaven is eternal, but not mm-hmm. hell. I guess mm. is there a reason for or yeah does that then imply that heaven is for a really long time but not <laughs> yeah not yeah yeah so 
Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that that's still probably my biggest question that I have on the universalist perspective mm. of all the things is the idea of eternity. Um, yeah, yeah. That one, that one is a tougher one to get around for sure. Yeah. So, and I mean, yeah, I don't know how much we really understand about eternity. So mm, true, true. Yeah. So I am curious. I want to ask you. Okay. So is it, I just am curious to hear your perspective on, is it just, is it righteous for God? Cause this is probably one of the biggest questions. Is it just, is it righteous of God to torment people mm-hmm. um, forever for uh, 70 years worth of sin? I just am curious to hear your thoughts yeah. on that. Sure. Like I don't, yeah, I don't understand that. Um, I also don't understand why there are people born on Earth that go through torture on Earth, um, and how can God allow that? Because I think, and, and there's answers to that. I think of, um, you know, we brought it on ourselves. Um, uh, through sin that um, you know the, there's um, all of the um, God causes things directly but then he also allows things to happen and so then is he like is he responsible he's not responsible in the same way right for those for things that happen <laughs> that he didn't directly cause if there's uh-huh. if there's free will in there, then there's got to be some sort of like God is indirectly um, doing things, mm-hmm. and so I would say I also don't understand some of that or why you know why a child um, would go through horrible pain and then die. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yes, I I would agree. I don't I don't agree. I don't understand a lot of those things and back to the, if I were God, mm-hmm. what would I choose? Um, like, is it, is all of it worth it for, uh, people to go through, um, everything that they go through? I think mm-hmm. that's, I think that's a good question. Like, is that, um, how is that consistent with, with God's love? And, you know, nobody's, Nobody's answered that. People are still asking that question. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. So I would say, will not the judge of the whole earth do right? Um, mm-hmm. There are things that I don't understand that I would I would just have to say. Um, I and and I'm I know you would say this too. In the end, whatever is is the truth. It's, mm-hmm. it's um, what God has chosen and it's just and loving. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't know that I can explain. Um, I would, I, again, with eternal, I wouldn't say like people sin for 70 years and then they are tortured for a million years. Like that's not eternity either necessarily. I, I mean, maybe it is. Maybe that's how eternity works, that it's still this sort of linear Mm. linear thing but it also could be something completely different that we don't 
understand mm-hmm. yet. Um, I don't know. Cool. So, yeah. So cool. I don't really have an answer for you for that one. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. I, well, <laughs> I have one more tough question. Okay. Because this is this is I think even harder. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just warming you up with Uh-oh. that last one. <laughs> but this is this is one that, Gonna like I said, deeper, this is get a little hotter. Exactly. <laughs> Keep them coming. Uh, so this is one, like I said, I started thinking about, especially about seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's one that I've particularly been faced with over the last several months because I have some friends who are atheists who we've been having conversations about Christianity and the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so one of them said, my dad died when I was a kid. He wasn't a Christian. Mm-hmm. If I became a Christian, I would have to believe that he was burning in hell forever. Mm. So obviously I'm wanting to share the gospel with them, which I think is the good news. Right, right. <laughs> Not the worst news in the world. Uh, and so, but to her, it seems like that would be the worst news in the world sure. to know that that was the fate of her dad. And so if you were sharing the gospel with somebody who had a challenge like that, because mm. like I said, that's something my friend has just said a couple weeks ago. Right. Uh, what, what would your response be? Yeah. yeah and this is something, like I said, I've been trying to figure out for seven years. So if you're like, right. I don't know in 30 seconds, I, sure. I understand. <laughs> no, no, that's good. No. So I would, I would tell them, however much you loved your dad, God loves him more. God is, is love and he is the most loving. He is the most just, he's the most holy. And so whatever, uh, and you know, maybe if I'm talking to somebody who's, who's asking that question, maybe I do tell them that there are different views on hell, that there are, um, that we can't say 100% for sure for, uh, you know, what is, what somebody's eternity looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, but that we, <clears throat> we have to, uh, we have to, um, have that faith that God is doing the right thing. And then we have to do, what we know to be the right thing as well, um, which is the only thing that in the end we can control. Mm. And so, um, yeah, I don't know that you could really give much comfort in that scenario. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, you're asking someone to, to do something difficult. I don't think, I don't think the message for Christianity is, um, here's something really easy. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. that everything is easy to understand or easy to believe or, or easy to do. Um, mm-hmm. you know, there, it's impossible to do on your own. And there's, there are things that we don't understand. Um, and so, um, and so that's where faith comes in. I don't, I would want to probably think through that more before I <laughs> yeah. talk to somebody in that situation. <laughs> Yeah, I, think I can yeah. give a better theological answer than a a, <laughs> a comforting answer, and that yeah, would, that would yeah. maybe that would definitely be tough to balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is cool. Good thoughts. Good thoughts, though. 
Yeah. 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 Well, any, did you have any wrap up? <laughs> Anything to wrap Well, you've up told all the jokes. Yeah. You've told all the jokes. <laughs> and so, but yeah, I think, I think just some, some things like you said that are good to state that we should all agree on, mm. whether you're a traditionalist or a conditionalist or a universalist yeah. is that hell is real. And that, as you just said, that God is perfectly loving and he's just and he's merciful and he's good and he's going to do what's right. And so I think we can take comfort in that. Uh, I think also something that I think we can agree on that you and I agree on for sure. But I, I hope that a broader spectrum of people can agree on too, is that it's not quite as black and white as I think people have typically thought it was. Yeah. Agree. And, and I guess the last thing I would throw out there is it does still seem like there's different levels of judgment for different people, uh, whether Christian or non-Christian, uh, particularly, obviously we're talking about non-Christian. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, so those, those are, I guess, some concluding things that I think we all agree on, no matter which of these three perspectives you're coming from. Right. Yeah. I think you have to, um, I mean, you should study to to the degree that, that God would want you to study mm-hmm. these different topics. Um, you can't, I think you can't ignore theology because even if you're just watching like television shows, you're getting some sort of bad theology. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> just Unless yeah. you're watching Disney. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> Speaking of Infernal. <laughs> um, yeah, so you do have to, I think you... You, uh, to whom much is given, much is required, and you do need to study, um, and and pray, and um, and then you come to to your best conclusions, and then, I mean the um, the theology of the church isn't necessarily somebody like Augustine or or Thomas Aquinas um, determining what's right, and then um, that's that's what's correct, or Martin Luther or or John Calvin, um, yeah it's uh it's the church as a whole we're all studying and we're all coming to conclusions and then i believe god is guiding the church as a whole and then um you know we can maybe we're going to look back in maybe after 3000 years of christianity then this is the this is maybe another big break maybe everybody's uh yeah. A, a universalist <laughs> in a thousand years. and <laughs> This and, is the second reformation. <laughs> right. Yeah. Who, who knows? Um, so, I, but I think we've got to, um, yeah, you, that doesn't mean you don't, you don't believe anything. You just say, there's no way to know. And so I don't believe yeah. anything. You, you come to the best conclusions you can. And then, yeah, like you're saying, we, um, God loves, uh, we're commanded to love. We're commanded to preach the gospel to everyone. Um, so there's, there's still the great commission, whatever the, the ending is, um, mm-hmm. whatever you believe on, yeah. on who gets in yeah. and who doesn't, um, it doesn't mean you don't, you don't have to, to tell people, you don't have to yeah. uh, tell them the truth and love and, and, um, uh, be the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Definitely agree. All right. Well, I, at least we came to some sort of agreement there at the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. I think I, I think what you said was right. That there's we're 
there is a lot of agreement and there is the things we agree on are more important um certainly in this case than than the things we disagree on yeah yeah and i would say too and i know you you agree with this that i think it's important for theology to not just be mm. fun information to talk about yeah but that the reason that theology is important is because it affects our life <laughs> you know it's right it's wrapped up in our worship of god it's wrapped up in our interactions with people mm. and so i think a conversation like this is just incredibly important for mm. as we're talking about this even as it's come up <clears throat> we're asking questions about who is god and what is his character like yeah. and so this affects that conversation and that conversation affects this and it obviously affects our conversations with non-christians and so i right. i'm glad that we had this conversation i think it's incredibly important and mm. not just just to tickle our our curiosity right so. <laughs> yeah because that is the baptist trap maybe if the roman catholic yeah. trap is to just say everything you do is what matters do the right things the baptist mm-hmm. trap is well, if you believe the right things then you're good yeah so yeah you do have to have both body and yeah. spirit yep well i, I really enjoyed talking to you matt yeah yeah sam i feel like we could have gone two more hours i had about 10 more questions for you definitely (laughs) well (laughs) we can definitely continue the conversation um if you want to uh to do that offline i think we need to wrap this two-hour conversation up (laughs) for sure Uh, for sure and i'd definitely be interested to hear with from uh any listeners um that uh have thoughts if you've not thought about this if there's anything that this is stirred up within you or if it's something that you've studied and you have any thoughts um emailing is the best tto at coser.us is going to get to me and i can pass that along to matt and um we can continue the conversation uh you can also go to our website at least until the end of the year when i shut it down because i'm not going to pay five dollars a month for it anymore (laughs) (laughs) for a comment every other month. Um, <laughs> uh, but you can go to our website, tto.coser.us slash 167. And uh, you can leave a comment and uh, we can also uh, have a conversation there. So um, Matt, thanks for for having a chat. I'm glad we, we found yeah, an excuse to talk about yeah. theology. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was fun. Looking forward to doing it again at some point. Yeah, we need to... I think maybe an hour a month. So maybe in a couple of months we'll uh, <laughs> we can get back together. Maybe in July. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah. All right. Awesome. And we need to talk about uh, Christmas plans too. So yeah, <laughs> let's, uh, let's circle up on that at some point. So, yeah. All right. Well, uh, until next time I'm Brian Kozer. And I'm Matt Kozer. Listening to 10 to 1. something at the end so Mm-mm. yeah something clever to end with oh do you end an episode about hell with something clever <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe it's maybe it's something to be about. 
I will say, and uh, uh, definitely it's the it's the Baptist thing to beat up on the medievals. I do, there are things I like about the medievals for sure. And one thing I like yeah, is how for they, sure. how they, um, they turned, it's like, I don't know what the best way to say it, um, but like, instead of being like, uh, like depressed about uh, the devil and mm-hmm. sin, they were much more apt to make a mockery of it. <laughs> so, or like, um, for example, this is after the medieval period, but um, <laughs> like uh, um, Guy Fox that tried to blow up Parliament. Yeah. Um, and now, and then after that, they turned it into a holiday of every year. <laughs> they like burn oh, yeah. images of him and they like set off firecrackers oh nice and there's like other traditions nice. it's like the english people <laughs> yeah. took this like terrible thing where a guy tried to blow up their their government yeah and like turned it into like a carnival <laughs> and, nice. um, i think it was gk awesome. chesterton was mentioning that and he was saying <laughs> like that's part of christianity is that we take the it's <laughs> terrible and we redeem it uh-huh. and make it something to mm. celebrate <laughs> yeah yeah so i'm nice. not saying we do that with hell specifically <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah but um but also sitting yeah. or, i guess sitting around depressed about it isn't gonna keep anybody out of it <laughs> no i more said that because i don't want to have to come up with something <laughs> 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 then i retract what i said <laughs>